Hi, and welcome to CGI's series of podcasts where we will be exploring the space industry in conversation with CGI's space domain experts. Our experts have a wealth of knowledge across the space industry, and I'm delighted to share this with our listeners today. In this first series, we will be looking at how space data is used across the different industries. I'm Harjit Shearer, Director of Corporate Services in Space. My role is is business development across CGI's global space business, and today I will be exploring Earth observation and the use of space data. Joining me today is Ron Volk. Ron is responsible for space data services within CGI Netherlands. Also with me today is Auke Blockland. Auke is a data scientist in the space data services team, also within CGI Netherlands business unit. Hi, Ron. Hello. And hi, Auke. Hi, hi. Thanks for joining me today. So Earth observation is essentially the use of remote sensing technologies to monitor land, waters and the atmosphere. And there are obvious advantages when these technologies are satellite based. But can you describe the technologies that are used? Yes, yes, of course. So um, Earth observation, uh, general known by the public, is, uh, is things like Google Maps where you can just uh, look at the map as, uh, as it's shown. But actually, Earth observation is a lot more. Um, you can also think about uh, infrared, which is in your remote control, uh, but also radar. Um, and all these uh, little parts of uh, remote sensing are actually coming together when we are started working with, uh, with remote sensing. So um, there are different resolutions, uh, different uh, spatial resolutions, different temporal resolutions. So how often does a satellite actually come by and provide us with information? Um, and then, yeah, of course, the, the radiometric resolution, like how uh, dense is the information provided uh, from the satellites? Can you expand on the trade-off between the different remote sensing technologies? Yes, so um, what, what happens, for example, uh, during natural disasters is that um, the optical satellites are blocked because of clouds. Imagine there's a hurricane, then there are a lot of clouds. So the optical satellites don't see anything except clouds. And the radar satellites, uh, the radar actually penetrates the clouds. So we can still get an image on the, on the ground surface of what is happening there. So we can still see with radar data if there are um, like houses which are completely ruined or maybe we want to find an, uh, an airfield where uh, not a lot of damage is taken. So we can actually send uh, people there to, with, with first responders to help people who are affected by a hurricane. And um, what kind of data can you get from, from the methods that we use? So the, the types of data are mainly divided in two parts. Um, you have the, the optical data, which is, which is like a passive sensor. It just uh, detects what is reflecting back from the Earth's surface. And the second part are the, the active uh, sensors. And the active sensors actually send a signal to Earth and then detect the reflection. So there are two types of, of satellites which are now uh, in orbit. And both of them uh, yeah, are really useful depending on the situation. What are the benefits, though, of, of using all of the data from, from all of the, the various Earth observation satellites that, that you've just described? 
Um, actually, the combining of data is, is really useful when we're going uh, to work on a solution because uh, yeah, the, the one has uh, more benefit than the other in certain kind of situations. But in general, uh, satellite data is really useful because uh, satellites are orbiting the Earth like 24 seven, 365 days a year. So you don't really need uh, someone to go somewhere to catch an image or to catch uh, or fly a drone or fly a helicopter, fly a plane that isn't really necessary. The, the satellites are already there and taking, in, taking in information like every moment when they fly by. And also, which is really nice, is that uh, satellites are monitoring really consistently. So every shot is taken with the same characteristics. So when you go out in a field and you take a photo with your camera, then you can change the ISO values and such. Um, and with space data, that is all consistently. So every time you get an image, you can compare it easily to the, to the previous one and to the next one. Okay. So, so how is the quality of the space data that you're using? How has that changed, say, over the last 10 years or, or since you've been with, in the field? Yeah, what you um, can see that there's a, a trend in smaller and smaller pixel sizes. So um, the the thing is that in the previous or in the the previous decade, then the satellites were really coarse, and you could only see like the the bigger uh, areas and not much the details. But with more and more satellites in space, you get just better and better resolutions. Um, and also you see that it becomes really cost effective. So um, it becomes cheaper uh, with SpaceX, you get uh, cheaper launches. Um, so the satellites also provide cheaper data. And um, what also is really, really easy is that um, what I mentioned before, the historical data is always available. So you can also look back uh, see the results and that compare that with the with the new satellites, the new the new images taking in. Initially, data was available in on square on yeah one one kilometer by one kilometer, and now we're up to thirty centimeters spatial resolution. So it's yeah widely available. So the, the resolution and the quality of the information is is much higher. Of course, it's also there's a trend that you need more uh, processing capacity in order to process the data and. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is I can imagine that uh, with all of the greater capacities and, and the more processing that you do, you must have some additional challenges as well. So can you describe some of those challenges that, that, that the market faces in, in trying to improve this the, the data quality and the resolutions that you have? Yeah, so the, 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 the problems we're facing are also tackled by, by uh, like companies like Microsoft and Google. They provide a lot of uh, cloud computing solutions. So some of the problems uh, we face uh, with uh, processing large amounts of data can be solved by just putting in more processing power. Uh, but on the other hand, we also try to develop models to um, reduce the amount of processing power needed. So you could just simply process it all, but you could also detect changes and then on the places where there are changes which are interesting, there do more processing. So there are two two ways of tackling uh, this problem. 
Yeah, and another thing which is also I think relevant is that you uh, we've seen a lot of projects that uh, people are starting yeah from 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 the beginning. So more or less they're reinventing the wheel and they are, uh, for example, downloading data or collecting data or do some pre-processing like uh, cloud removals and, and all that kind of stuff. And we see a trend and an advantage to by by using standardized building blocks we developed um, and link them together into a service or, or, or a small, so we are able to start faster and make our solutions more reliable because the, the building blocks themselves already proven themselves, they're efficient in their processing and they are uh, yeah, helpful in, in our development. So uh, yeah, one challenge is that that's, uh, a lot of projects start with uh, the, the basics which are widely available already. Uh, the volume of data available is ever-increasing, as are the processing and manipulation methods. In your opinion, are organizations able to make the most of what's available and what can be done with the data today? Yeah, I think because we a lot of our clients are doing, and I also see that with other uh, colleague companies, that there are a lot of proof-of-concept, proof-of-values, uh, that the advantage of uh, satellite data is being uh, proven. But uh, the next step to that, then the or our business or our clients uh, identify. Okay, we also need to have an, an organizational change because in the procedures uh, is described that uh, the measurements need to be done in a certain way. And of course, using space data will impact that way of working. I think that's that's something that yeah, I see with our clients that are that they're um, sometimes forget. Uh, to think about it. So, okay, what comes after the successful proof of concept or proof of value? And even if the business case is positive, uh, it still sometimes ends uh, with with yeah, those struggles, which is those challenges. So, how do you see these trends translating into applications and services? Um, there are multiple, to be honest, the multiple uh, potential solu- or solutions are widely available because. Um, for example, in the Netherlands, we have a, an insurance company who is, uh, who is uh, monitoring greenhouses using satellites on their deformation. So, and on a millimeter level, you can we can measure the, the the changes of the of the greenhouse. So, and we can prevent damage by by notifying the the greenhouse owner. Okay, there are some the, the, your your greenhouse is deforming, and please be aware before the glass in the greenhouse breaks. Uh, you have to do some take some measurements. Yeah, yeah, that's that's something. And then another thing is um, measuring um, thermal ch- changes. So uh, identifying is there are some um, uh, energy leakages of houses, for example. So you can measure using space data. You can measure on a very detailed level um, uh, the, the temporal changes of, of, for example, houses or also uh, business uh, locations and to identify if there are illegal activities within those constructions. Uh, so that are some examples of, uh, of how space data is being used and also for uh, to identify uh, crop fields. Uh, that, that's also widely, widely used. But of course, in the initial days, uh, space data was used for, uh, there's a, quite a focus on, on climate, asset management, of course. But initially, it was used for large-scale monitoring. Going forward, what sort of trends can you see with the use of these applications and services? So how do you think um, the services will develop as, as space data availability or quality will change going forward? 
Yeah, but the, the the big thing I think will change is that in the past you you could only um, monitor like large scale changes. So uh, think the climate changes, uh, big scale deforestation, uh, melting of the ice caps. That that are like the large scale things you could monitor. Now with improvement in satellites, you uh, you get better resolutions. You get more like a better temporal resolution. So satellites fly by more often. And that trend actually helps us to um, develop services which are more, yeah, more detailed. So you could go from large-scale forest solutions to uh, downscale it towards like one greenhouse or one building you can monitor. And that really helps us in... um, yeah, developing more and more solutions which people do, didn't even think about. Uh, think of the subsidence. We can we can now measure in millimeter subsidence if if buildings or bridges or whatever are deforming. Well, the the thermal monitoring um, previously it were pixels of about 500 meters, and we can now bring it down all the way to 50 centimeters. So you can actually see heat changes or differences on one rooftop. And this poss- these possibilities really, really helps in, in finding new clients uh, and further developing the, yeah, the presence of space data. And also using this data, it can automate uh, yeah, less att- for people less attractive uh, work, of course, because we do it on a consistent way. You can, you can measure consistently and you're not independent on the, the person's uh, opinion. So that, that's, that's, I think, an advantage of using space data. Another thing is that over trend, more or less, that uh, people are becoming uh, older and older, and um, that there is a lack of resources who wants to do some, uh, yeah, more standardized inspections, or also uh, impacted by the COVID, that there was uh, less uh, travel allowed, and using space that you can also monitor remote areas. So if you you can, for example, we are based in the Netherlands, we can monitor. F- from, from the Netherlands, we can monitor, monitor assets yeah, around the globe. So that's another advantage and a trend which I see uh, coming from our, from our customers, that they want to see something yeah, which they're not currently not physical uh, available. Thanks for that, Anker. Um, you've discussed some very interesting solutions that address some very specific requirements, such as detecting the thermal variations and the subsidence in greenhouses. But I would be interested to know how easily the same applications or solutions can be applied to more than one industry. And this question is, is to the both of you. Yeah, yeah, that's what we do. We try to do with our Environment Monitor 360. Um, we, so we, we, we are, that's based on building blocks and using, connecting those building blocks, we, we can define all kinds of services. Uh, and these services can be applied to, to multiple uh, use cases or multiple clients. For example, as Auke mentioned, the uh, the deformation of the greenhouses. The same, of course, applies for uh, monitoring uh, oil or, or, or uh, oil production uh, sites. Pipelines can be monitored, uh, but also bridges, as Auke also uh, referred to. Um, all kinds of assets can be monitored using the same technique. And yeah, depending on the customer, it can be uh, it can be or needs to be uh, needs to have some adjustment, but. In principle, the techniques are the same. The same for yeah, the thermal, uh, our thermal service that can be used for monitoring the technical installations. Is there a temperature change? Uh, also, uh, is there some leakage from, from heat? 
pipes or is there some so all kinds of use cases can be uh, yeah can be applied to the same type of services so Alka and Ron thank you so much for your contribution today uh, your experience across the industry has provided us all with a lot of very useful information and uh, yeah thank you very much Yes, thank you. And uh, thank you for giving me a platform to uh, promote uh, Earth observation data. And thank you for your interest in remote sensing and uh, looking forward to speak to you soon. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Alke. So we've learned that satellite-derived Earth observation data has evolved significantly over the last few years, with more satellites and improved methods of data capture allowing monitoring to centimeter accuracy. This accuracy, along with the processing techniques, enable applications and services to be developed that meet more stringent requirements. Where previously only large-scale monitoring was possible, we can now monitor individual buildings and temperature changes within specific zones of these buildings. Our environmental challenges can be better addressed through monitoring wildfires, oil spills and making efficiencies in labour and costs. However, this also comes with challenges with increased volumes of data requiring more processing power and efficient methods for processing. In addition, many organisations, such as utility companies, are not always able to take full advantage of what can be done with the data today due to evolutions required in their processes and infrastructure for handling this data. In any case, the volume of satellite-derived Earth observation data will only increase, and it's clear that there are major advantages in its use, such as addressing the urgent environmental aspects we are facing today. We hope that this podcast and the views of our experts has given you some insights into the market. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening.